0: All right, we're gonna start today with the 149th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and praise in the assembly of saints and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you, Heavenly Father, for holding off the uh, rain this morning. And uh, we just wanna come out here and praise you and worship you. and. Uh, fellowship with other believers in the presence of uh, your glory and your majesty. And so may the brightness of your glory shine down upon us and uh, may your word be illuminated to us and uh, help us to rightly divide the word so that what we uh, present today will be uh, edifying to others and glorifying to you. And Lord, I'd pray for each person here that uh, is attending today that they would have a a happy time during their vacation in Florida or if they're a resident that they'd uh, be safely carried through another week and uh, we want to thank you lord for the blessings of this past week and the abundance you blessed us with and we look forward to your open hand of grace in the week to come all glory all majesty and all honor belong to you alone and so we just want to uh, revel in your goodness and to thank you for that and uh, this service is an offering to you and uh, we do this in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen okay i got just a few announcements today um, uh, those of you that are visiting, we have a building that we bought some time ago and uh, we're going to be moving into it and uh, we actually thought we'd be in there by now but uh, there's been permitting, you know, nowadays it takes a lot to get permits and that took about 12 weeks. We got started and then something else happened with the county. They need to move something and they have 30 days to move that. So um, we've been waiting two weeks already and maybe they'll get to it next week and maybe not but, um, eventually once those things are done, the building should, uh, go rather quickly, the extension of the building and the modification of it. And, uh, uh, hopefully we'll be in there in a couple months, but, um, I, I, am not depressed by it at all because I figure there's a reason why the Lord, uh, has delays in our life and, uh, it's his church and he's sovereign over these things. And so, uh, the fact that we have visitors here today, maybe one of them will hear something that'll bless them, or maybe somebody walking by will hear something. And so, uh, uh, we just want to give him praise for keeping us out here in the, uh, the beauty of uh, Turtle Beach for a few more weeks. And um, one thing that I always offer is uh, baptism. If you look over there, uh, there's some water, and uh, there's just enough to baptize a couple people. So if anybody here has never been scripturally baptized, I'll be more than pleased to do that. And um, what it is, is the Bible always shows people being baptized after conversion. And I'm not talking about John's baptism. I'm talking about the baptism of Christ. They call on Jesus Christ and then they're baptized as a picture of what they have done. They've been buried with him uh, in the grave and they're brought to newness of life through the power of the uh, resurrection. And so uh, that's what it pictures. And so being baptized as an infant doesn't really do anything. It's great for pictures and uh, makes the parents happy, but uh, it doesn't really solve any, uh, anything in your life. And it doesn't really glorify God other than just, like I say, as a, a family memorial. So if that's something you wanna do, I'll be happy to do it. Baptism is not required for salvation. It's just something that is showing obedience. There are two ordinances that the Lord has given us. One is the Lord's Supper, which we'll have uh, at the end of the meal or at the end of the service and the other is baptism. Um, Today is our 80th Genesis sermon. We're uh, still in Genesis 32 and uh, we'll be in it one more week after this, but there are great pictures of uh, things that have happened and things that are coming in Christ in this particular passage and uh, so i hope you'll enjoy this and uh, i announced this to the people that were here earlier but it's hot out here you may have somewhere to go i get a little long-winded whatever um don't feel bad if you want to get up and go ahead and leave that happens from time to time and uh, my uh, idea of preaching isn't everybody's bag anyway because i'm not a life application preacher but uh, i rather take the bible and we we look into it why god has given us this word so that we can apply that to our lives rather than our lives to the bible and um uh, it's just a different approach. It's the way I prefer. And um, uh, I think I may have one or two other uh, announcements. Uh, one is that next week is the 4th of July weekend officially. If you're coming, I'd recommend you come a little bit early because the parking lot will probably fill up a little bit. And uh, 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 So there you go. Oh, we have some donuts and some water over here. Uh, Ethan brought some donuts and water. So if you get hot, please go ahead and knock yourself out. and uh, Or if you get hungry, have a donut and uh, he doesn't want to carry any of it home. So please take what you can. And um, uh, I will try my best to speak up today. I know it's very windy. It's uh, kind of hard to hear anything, but I'll try to do my best on that uh, regard. And um, I I know there's one other thing that I wanted to tell you. Oh yes, last thing I want to tell you is that at the end of this month, I'll be gone for one week and I'll announce that more as we get going. But uh, just one weekend, I've got to go up to Massachusetts to help my father with some things. So other than that, that's all the announcements we have. I am not going to do a New Testament reading today. Um, Last week, we had a long sermon. This week, we have the possibility of rain showers at any time. Um, Talking about rain showers, I brought a lot of umbrellas. So it'll be a quick shower, but you might get wet. So I got a whole bunch of them right over there. And um, no New Testament reading today, but I will read the 150th Psalm. This is the last Psalm of the Psalter. And so next week, we're going to start with Psalm 1 and 2, and we'll start all over again. We'll just work our way through this altar. Um, Eventually, we'll be in a building. We'll have music and that type of thing. But uh, out here, it's kind of just a one-man show, and I'll be looking forward to all of us uh, uh, participating in other things once we get into a building. Uh, I'll be praising the Lord for that. But uh, we'll go ahead and do the 150th Psalm, and then we'll get into uh, the other things that we have for you. This is uh, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This week is Genesis 32, 13 through 21, and it's called preparing for an encounter. All right. Um, Before I give the sermons and uh, the people that attend here regularly know this, I always do uh, this day in history. And the reason why I do it is because quite often we can tie things that have happened in history into the Bible and kind of show us where we've been and where we're heading. Um, I get a little political in this. We're not a uh, 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 actually uh, an affiliated church in any way. And uh, I tie quite often morality and the current politics in with this so if you don't want to hear politics uh, tune out for a couple minutes but um uh i I have no problem doing this i'm unashamedly uh uh against immorality in our government so i may mention something here in a minute but um uh that's only in this part of it and then we'll get into the sermon and i I don't introduce any politics but uh, this is 30 june all right and uh something i was thinking about this morning is that um it is the last day of the sixth month of the year, which means the year is one half over. And some of you may have made a commitment during, uh, at the beginning of the year, saying, I'm going to read the Bible this year, or I'm going to tell this person about Jesus Christ, or I'm gonna do this or that for the sake of the Lord. And uh, you now have lost six months if you haven't done that. And so uh, time is going by. I've had friends die in the past six months. Um, uh, the world just keeps moving. And if you've made a commitment, the Bible asks you to perform your vows. And uh, not, don't, be unash- don't be ashamed to do these things, is to speak out about the Lord because he unashamedly hung on a cross naked in front of his mother and his friends and the whole world in order to redeem you from the power of sin. And so uh, uh, keep your, your uh, eyes on Jesus and keep your heart and your thoughts about what you wanna tell people or the things that you wanna do ever present before you because time is fleeting. And uh, I would ask that uh, if you have somebody you haven't talked to about the Lord and you know you should, that uh, July is a good month to do it. It's a wonderful month to tell people about the Lord. So uh, make a commitment to do that. And uh, anyway, 30 June on this day in 1841, the Erie Railroad rolled out its first passenger train. Now that's kind of an amazing thing there because uh, if you think about it from the perspective of the founding of the nation, That was in the, uh, you know, 1770s, 1780s. In that area, we were really getting started. This is, you know, less than a generation later. We're already uh, putting together railroads and spanning out around the nation. Uh, I think it was Andrew Jackson that um, commissioned uh, Lewis and Clark. I may be wrong on that. But anyway, when they came back, they estimated that it would take 75 generations to subdue the land that they had uh, gone out and checked. And, of course, it was less than two generations, and we had gone out to the... uh, the West Coast, and we had uh, uh, started these railroads going across America. Very interesting uh, how quickly things have happened, and that fits into Daniel 12. Uh, Knowledge will increase, people will travel to and fro. Um, These type of things are are spoken of in the Bible, and it's coming to fulfillment in our lifetime. All right, anyway, uh, 30 June on uh, 1859, a guy named Charles Blondin became the first person to cross Niagara Falls on a high wire. And uh, just before we closed last week, uh, Paul Stoll back here, he uh, reminded us to uh, keep um, Carl Wallinda in prayer because he would be crossing the Grand Canyon. He's a Sarasota native. And as a matter of fact, the Wallindas have been here for eons. But um, uh, he did in fact cross the uh, Grand Canyon last week and he was talking to Jesus all the way across. So if you saw that, uh, it was very glorifying of the Lord. And, uh, but this uh, kind of thing goes all the way back to 1859 with Charles Blondin uh 1894 korea declared independence from china so that was a good thing but the poor koreans what did they do they asked the japanese for aid and that was a giant mistake because of course the the japanese went in and they cut off a bunch of heads raped a lot of women cut down all the trees and sent the uh, trees back to japan for their own artwork and for their own charcoal and whatever else and i'm not slighting japan my wife is japanese here but uh Korea has been one of those nations that's been in the middle of the punching bag for uh, many, many generations. And um, uh, those things have kind of been settled. There are still tensions between Korea and uh, Japan, not as heavily as they were in the past, but uh, uh, that was 1894. In 1908, on this day, a meteor explosion occurred above Tunguska in Siberia. And if you know about the Tunguska incident, uh, a meteor came in and uh, the pressure of the earth the atmosphere hitting it was greater than it behind it, and so it caused the thing to explode in midair. And um, as they determined with the nuclear tests back in the uh, 50s and 60s, that uh, there are certain altitudes that nuclear explosions can happen where they're much more devastating than if they happen at ground level. And that was the case with Tunguska. They said it was at the perfect altitude to cause maximum destruction. And in fact, it knocked down trees over a 40-mile distance and people were knocked unconscious for another 40 miles. So um, uh, anybody that was in the area of those trees at that time would have been vaporized. And uh, as I bring up from time to time, there wasn't a person that day that said, I'm going to go out and die from a meteor explosion today. And uh, when 9-11 happened, none of those people pushed that button and said, I'm going to go up to the top of this building and jump out in 30 minutes. Uh, Life happens, and as it happens, we have to be ready for the end of that life. And uh, I would once again ask you to pay attention to the call of the Lord if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because we could have a uh, meteor land on us today or one of these branches could break out of the tree from the winds and uh, not to scare you there, but this is reality. So please, if you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. You don't need me to lead you in any prayer. You just say, I want you to, to save me from the condemnation that follows. And he will do that but I will talk about that again at the end of the sermon. Anyway, 1934, Adolf Hitler purged the Nazi party. Um, He destroyed the SA and he brought in the SS and that was on the night of the long knives. And uh, if you know the story of Nazism and what happened after that, the SS were brutal people. Lots of people died at their hands. And uh, of course the thousand year Reich ended after just a few years, but uh, uh, disaster was following disaster at this time in history. Uh, 1936 Margaret Mitchell and this is something that it it never ceases to amaze me Uh, my my uh, sixth grade teacher talked about this and uh, I was kind of stunned even then and here it's 40 years later but um, uh, Gone with the Wind was published in New York on this day in uh, 30 June and uh, when the movie came out from based on the book uh, a lot of people were sitting in the movie theater and uh, what's his name uh, Red or Rex or whatever his name was he said frankly my dear I don't give a damn and a lot of people got up from the theater and they walked out and they said i'm not going to listen to that i'm not going to hear that kind of thing and now that's the most innocuous thing in the world is i mean we hear filth like that coming from politicians every day and how stewed we have become to uh the immorality around us where we now condone things that we should not condone and we we just sit through movies that are a, a continuous stream of vulgarity and that was only just a few years ago that that book came out and it caused such a stir. So I would ask you to reflect on these things and to uh, think on the things of God. Think on what's noble. Think on what's right and try to be an example to the people around you of morality and of right living. And uh, hope that hopefully they will want what you have rather than what the world offers them. Just a little point there from that. Uh, 1950 U.S. president. This is five years after the ending of World War II. President Truman. Uh, he ordered troops to Korea. Uh, we've talked about that a couple weeks in a row where Korea was starting to have troubles. And uh, he invoked the uh, draft once again. And so uh, people were being drafted to go off to another war. And a lot of those young men didn't come back. So once again, we have uh, another hint that we need to be right with our Lord before these type of things happen. Everybody wants to go to war and be a hero, but not all of them are. And uh, nobody wants to die in war, and a lot of them do. So uh, just... just Keep that in mind as far as uh, your state before the lord in whatever it is um 1953 something that is just really wonderful happened the first corvette rolled off the assembly line in flint michigan and that corvette today if it's still around is probably worth millions of dollars but at the time it sold for three thousand two hundred and fifty dollars so uh pretty wonderful. I'm, I, I really love cars. My wife knows I've probably spent 90% of what we made in the years uh, together on cars. I don't do that anymore. I now just have a truck. And uh, uh, But I, I used to buy antiques and I, I really loved them. Uh, they're just a lot of work. And I, I got tired one day laying in the shell with mosquitoes and heat fixing a car. And I said, I'm spending more time under this than in it. And uh, that's when it ended. So I don't buy those anymore. But I do love old cars. Um, 1957 the American occupation headquarters in Japan was dissolved so it's 12 years after the ending of the war we have one of the uh, uh, greatest allies of America now which is the nation of Japan and uh, uh, like Israel they are not being treated very well by our current administration and uh, these great allies of ours are starting to wonder if we're allies at all and uh, the people that we should not be allied with and that we should not be defending are the people that we're we're coddling to. And uh, what's happening in the world, especially in our current uh, country, makes no sense at all to me. It makes absolutely no sense, except from a biblical perspective, that we are probably heading towards the end times. I'm not a doomsday sayer. I'm not one of these people that focuses on prophecy all the time. But I do believe that because Israel is back in the land, and uh, uh, I I do believe that the uh, world is coming to its final point before the return of Christ. And uh, it may be another thousand years. I just don't think so anyway um that was uh, 1957 and then in 1971 the 26th amendment to the united states constitution was enacted and uh, can anybody tell me what the 26th amendment to the united states constitution asks for what's that no not equal rights i got somebody here visiting that i've never met before but i know her from facebook so i just saw her good to see you uh no it is on uh, uh the voting age being lowered to 18 and um Actually, believe it or not, we got some folks from Ohio over here, and it was Ohio that was the one that uh, actually brought that in because it was the 38th state to ratify the amendment. It takes a two-thirds majority of the states after approval by the House and the Senate and the President for it to go out. Two-thirds of the states have to uh, uh, approve it. Ohio was the state, so you get the honor of doing that. Uh, I think it's a kind of a shame, though, that we have 18-year-old soldiers and we have 18-year-old uh, voting rights, but... And I'm not condoning the use of alcohol. I'm just showing the illogic of how our country runs is they can't go to a bar and there are certain things they cannot do. When they can vote, they can make choices about who is leading them, but the leaders won't let them do certain things. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, This was obviously an initiative that was uh, put forward by the left in the nation because people at 18, whether they know it or not, are not really prepared for life's decisions. They haven't got themselves normally into... uh, uh, the political spectrum enough to understand what's going on. And they will listen to emotions rather than to logical arguments. And um, so that's just the way of things. Uh, they say that people generally get more conservatives as they get older. Um, that has changed in America as well, because the left promises things to older people now, and they they feel insecure because of the, uh, the things that are happening. And so that's uh, uh, just kind of the way it is. But it was the the uh, 26th Amendment to the United States Constitution. And it's something I agree with. I'm not disagreeing with it. So uh, I've said that, and I'll go ahead and get into our uh, verses today, which is um, Genesis 32, verses 13 through 21. And uh, here's what it says. 13 says, so he lodged, this is Jacob. He lodged there that same night and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 male milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between the successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? What are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third and all who followed the drove saying in this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him and also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he lodged that night in the camp. Now, before I uh, actually start into uh, uh, my notes on the sermon, I'd like to talk to you about something called dispensationalism. And uh, some of you may know what that is, some of you may not. Dispensationalism is a concept about how the Bible is structured and how God is dealing with man in certain points in human history. And the reason why I'm doing this is because it does tie in with our particular uh, verses today, whether you realize that or not. Um, Some people hold to what's called covenantalism. God works through covenants with people. And uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with covenantalism. God made a covenant with Noah, he made one with Abraham, he made one with David. So there are covenants out there. Jesus established a new covenant in his blood. Um, But that is not the end of the Bible narrative, nor is it the only thing that God is doing. God is doing what is called dispensations in human history dispensations are how he works it's an outcropping of his working with man at a particular time the first dispensation and it's obvious when you look at it is the garden of eden it's called the time of innocence man was innocent he did not have the knowledge of good and evil that came at the end of the third chapter where it says man has now become like us to know good and evil so he was in a state of innocence that is a dispensation all by itself Then we come to the dispensation of conscience. Man is now an aware being, but he doesn't really have any orders from from God. It's just he's in a state of conscience, all right? The next one is the uh, dispensation of government. Man is given ruling authority over the earth. He says to uh, Noah certain things, and they are to do these things, and if they do, then everything will be all right. This is the dispensation of government. After that, we come to the dispensation of promise. The other dispensations have not worked, so we're gonna make a promise abraham i'm going to do something through you and it's going to go through your line and your descendants and eventually it's going to usher in something wonderful this is the dispensation of promise promise was an interim dispensation leading to the dispensation of the law okay the law is uh when the uh uh, law was given at mount sinai and the people of israel were established as a united corporate body under the headship of god he gave them certain things to do during that time but that is the dispensation of the law a particular group of people at a particular time for a very special reason. After that came the dispensation of the uh, uh, grace, which is called the church age. Jesus Christ's grace now is what reconciles us to God. Now I want you to know throughout the entire Bible, people are saved in the same way. It is by grace through faith. There are certain things that were done during those times, but it always has always been God's grace and it has always been based on faith. And we've seen this from Adam all the way down week after week how it's the exercising of faith that God looks for in his people. But that's the uh, sixth dispensation. And then there is one more dispensation. And this is why other people like covenant theologians disagree with dispensationalism is because we say there's another dispensation coming, which is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. He literally will come and he will reign from Jerusalem. And as the Old Testament says, the law shall go forth from Zion. It speaks of him uh, seated, his place of rest will be glorious, etc. So all of these things are saying that Jesus is going to return and he in fact is going to return to his people Israel. So there must be a purpose for the people of Israel. And that causes a problem with um, older theologians who say that Israel is out and the church has replaced Israel. So that's where this disagreement comes from. And so instead of uh, just dismissing maybe the millennium, they threw out dispensationalism entirely. But I do believe that Israel has a purpose. I don't think that it was a mistake in 1948 nor in 1967 And these things are being seen in the verses that we've looked at and that we will look at in the future. But today, we're going to see just a little piece of this in the verses we just looked at. So as I'm going slowly through these verses, I'd like you to think about what is God trying to tell us? And I will explain it as I do at the end of the sermon. But try to think, why is this verse in here? Why would God include something about a milk cow? This is God's word, he doesn't waste any words. Every single word is in here for a reason. And so why would he include something about a milk cow and the number of milk cows and all these things? It's because God wants us to wake up and pay attention to what he's telling us. anyway, here we go. We have another interesting portion of the life of Jacob. I just read it to you and we'll go through it again. The nine verses are part of a whole story of the life of Jacob, okay? But they are distinct from the prayer of faith that he made last week, which was the four uh, verses we went through. And they're distinct from what's gonna happen Uh, in the next verses, where he struggles, He, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. It's a completely different story, okay? These offsets are given and they're important to analyze as offsets. When we do this, we can more easily determine why the details were included and we can get these great insights into how God is working in history and through his marvelous unfolding plan for the people of the world. Our text verse for today comes from Malachi 3, Verse one, all right, now kind of think of what was happening with Jacob and Esau a minute ago. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Throughout the whole Bible, from its earliest verses, we see hints of one who is coming, one who is anticipated, and one who fulfills all of the pictures which are given. Malachi specifically said that he is on his way, but at other times we need to look more carefully behind the lines to see it. This is what we can experience yet again today from these verses. And so may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. Now, before I get into our first uh, thought, I wanna ask, can you hear back there okay? You can. I I mean, we can pull up the table some more if you you want. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. All right, our first thought today is a gift For Esau. This is verse 13. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. After Jacob's great prayer of faith, which was last week, he stays in the same place where he was. Without moving on, he also prepares a gift for Esau. Now, both of these actions might seem like the great prayer of faith wasn't very great after all. The question is is Jacob lacking faith? And I bring this up because some commentators say, well, look, he's, he's, he's this man of faith and all of a sudden he's sh- showing a lack of faith. And I want you to be careful when you read commentaries because that's not what's going on here. Instead of moving forward, well, he lags behind. And in giving a gift, well, it seems like on the surface, he is lacking faith, okay? God isn't gonna protect him. However, and as I've said in the past, if you want something from God, it doesn't stop you in any way from acting. The old saying, help yourself and God will help you, was as true for Jacob as it is for us. There is no lack of faith in Jacob's actions at all. Instead, he's being prudent. Matthew Henry says it this way, God answers our prayers by teaching us to order our affairs with discretion. Jacob prayed and now he's acting with discretion. Even the book of Proverbs will show us that this is true. He says there a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. So using a gift is something that just introduces us to other opportunities. Jacob isn't at all distrusting God's protection. Instead, he's using the means that God has already blessed him with to bring about his help and protection. So here's my question for you. You don't need to raise your hand or anything. It's just a a rhetorical question, but do you have locks on your doors at home? Do you have locks on your car? Do you have a security system on your car? Okay, is that lacking any faith at all? No, it's being prudent. You're showing discretion by doing those things, all right? And how about insurance? Do you have insurance on your car? I mean, it may need a lock because somebody might break in, but certainly you don't need insurance. God's gonna keep you from an accident. These are the kind of things that we need to think through. And that's why I say reading commentaries is not always the best thing if you absorb the commentary. It's fine to read them if you take it with a grain of salt and think on it. Jacob is not showing a lack of faith. Verse 14, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. This is a total of, believe it or not, 580 animals. The camels alone would have been worth an immense amount of money. They'd be very valuable because these are milk camels. They carry a lot of milk that the people can drink and they also serve all the other purposes like you know, being taxis across the desert or whatever. They're very valuable. The ancient writer Pliny tells us something that I never knew until I uh, started looking into this. The she camel or the milk camel gives milk continually, not ceasing till great with young, the milk of which when mixed with three parts of water affords the most wholesome and pleasant bread beverage. So that's kind of something that's interesting to me is that you take three parts of water and mix it in with camel's milk and you got something pretty tasty. But uh, Jacob, he takes these animals and he divides them in, their purport, in proportion of their ability to mate. In other words, he gives one male for every 10 females of the goats and the sheep. He gives one bull for every four cows. Jacob knows the right proportions for this because he's been tending the flocks all of his life. He puts together a magnificent gift for his brother Esau. And he's going to arrange them in a way that when they are presented, the intent will be to completely pacify his brother before they meet. He's not at all being stingy. And he knows from the blessings of the last 20 years of work that God is going to continue to bless him. There's no doubt about it. Verse 16, then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between the successive droves. There are five groups of animals that I just read. And so there are five droves that are being made ready to prepare the meeting between Esau and Jacob. These droves are being placed in the hands of servants and they're being directed to go prior to the meeting with Jacob and to keep a specific span between those droves. In other words, they're not to follow too closely to each other, but there should be some distance between each of them. Jacob is setting in advance the distances in order for Esau to adjust to each one and to think on it before meeting another drove. Each is given in a very specific order by Jacob to prepare him for meeting the next drove and to let esau know that he's still ahead he's coming by doing it this way there's going to be a prolonging of the time before the meeting esau would be expected to stop observe these gifts and then think on the greatness of the gift before the next gift comes as with all of these stories the details are being given for a very specific reason as they always do and they point to something which is centered completely on the person of jesus christ wi-fi droves Why a distance between them? And why these particular animals? Our second thought today is the servant's message. Verse 17, and he commanded the first one saying, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Who are these in front of you? Jacob gives very, very explicit instructions concerning what the servants are to say. At the specific interval, which is given by Jacob, Esau is going to meet the servant, and Jacob already knows that he's going to ask, who is he, who is your master, and what are all these animals doing with you? He already knows this is coming. He also knows that he's going to be curious about the flocks. There's a very distinct message that we're to learn, and it's not at all unsurprising when we know who Esau pictures, who Jacob pictures, and who the servants are and what the flocks represent. Now, some of these people here have been here for other sermons, and so they know who these people picture. I'll clear it all up before, uh, when I get done, but don't be confused right now. You'll see all of these pictures coming into focus in a few minutes. Verse 18, then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he's also behind us. The servants, once again, they're instructed very, very specifically. They are to say that they are your servant Jacob's. Said differently, Jacob is placing himself as a servant of Esau and the droves which are being conducted are a present to Esau. They're also instructed to tell Esau that Jacob is behind us, he's coming. Esau is eventually going to meet up with them. There's a date of destiny between these two boys which were separated so long ago and they are going to meet face to face and this is coming and it's pointing to something else. But before they meet up, Jacob is preparing Esau before the meeting it's a, prepar- a, a, a preparation where the two rivals will hopefully find reconciliation now the question is do you see anything in that two rivals that are going to find reconciliation our third thought today Jacob is behind us verse 19 so he commanded the second the third and all who followed the drove, saying in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him Now, when reading this verse it's not to be thought that there were only three droves rather just as the first just as the second just as the third all five droves are being instructed jacob is being very specific with each and every herdsman they're given words to speak and it is only words that they are to convey to esau they're not to say anything else the manner of the words is fixed and it's unchanging and every herdsman Will come at a different time they have a un- unified message despite that though they're all coming at a, a uh, individual point to meet esau but their message will be unified again think about who's being pictured and why god included these details we're going to see the reason why in just a few minutes but god is giving seemingly unnecessary details because they are in fact very necessary and they're telling us about what is coming later in biblical history verse 20 and also say behold your servant Jacob is behind us. Once again, the word of instruction is given. Behold your servant Jacob, he's he's behind us. He's there, he's waiting, and you'll meet him soon enough. Esau, your brother is there and we are here to tell you about him and to give you these gifts along the way. The repetition here is to make absolutely sure that they will be very, very careful to speak only what they're told. Jacob is ahead and it is a point of immense importance the gifts would have absolutely no significance without the guarantee of a meeting. It would be like a nice young man giving a girl a wedding ring and never following through with the wedding. Okay, that's how important this is. So I hope you're thinking about what's going to be pictured here. Esau would have been very slighted to have uh, been given all the gifts without a face-to-face meeting. How unworthy he would feel without such a meeting. Think about it. Verse 20 continues he said I will appease him with the present that goes before me and afterward I will see his face and perhaps he will accept me and we're told the reason for the instruction there is going to be a meeting and Jacob is preparing Esau for the meeting so that when they actually meet it will be as it says in Hebrew Ulai yisa fanai. perhaps he will accept me or it's a ter- term which some people literally translate I will expiate his face In other words, any wrath or any disagreement will be removed and there will be happiness between us once again. The estranged brother will perhaps accept him. Are we seeing it yet? Anybody? Not yet. Okay, verse 21. So the present went on before him, but he lodged himself that night in the camp. Now, after sending off the gift of the droves, Jacob stayed behind. And as it says, he lodged that night in the camp. The question is, which camp? It's important to know because if you remember from two sermons ago, there were two camps mentioned. One is God's camp and one is his camp. In the coming verses, it says that he sent his family and everything they had across the river and he stayed on the other side. Therefore, he is staying in the area of God's camp, which is Mahanaim. And this is gonna become apparent from the meeting of the angel of the Lord, which comes in the next sermon. The distinction is very important because the five droves are being sent while jacob is remaining in god's camp the details today have been given to show us the coming of jesus christ and the different stages of human history which precede his coming okay this is our fourth and final thought today the five gifts explained i want to share with you these wonderful details the first thing to remember is that each of these stories although connected are individual stories They are select instances of the lives of people that are taken to show different things that are coming in human history. And that's why these divisions in the Bible are so logical. We have chapter divisions which came many, many eons later. But these little short stories are logical enough where if you stop at the end of this one, you know exactly where to pick up. It's not the middle of something. And God is doing this for a reason. Each division, although a portion of a continuous true account, is still just a select piece of a person's life, which is meant to show us a particular truth. Sometimes in one of these stories, a person, whether it's Abraham or whether it's Isaac or Jacob or whoever, may picture God the Father. In another story, he may picture Jesus Christ. In another story, he may picture the people of Israel. In today's story, we're seeing a pattern that we've seen before. Esau represents Adam and his seed, the stream of humanity. Okay, Jacob is picturing Jesus Christ. The nine verses that we looked at, I logically broke down into three separate ideas. The first was a gift for Esau. The second was the servant's message. And the last was Jacob is behind us. What we're seeing here is the coming meeting between the Lord Jesus, which is the incarnation and man. Jacob is going to the land of Canaan. He's been away for a very, very long time. Jesus likewise is returning after a very long period. If you remember, it was him that walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden, but that ended when Adam disobeyed. And from that time, he has dwelt apart from man. He's lived up in God's camp. Esau, who pictures Adam, has been living in the land of Seir. Now, I've explained this in several sermons, but I'll remind you, the name Seir means hairy, okay? It comes from the uh, person of Esau. It was named after him because he was born hairy, like a fully developed man, all right? Hair in the Bible denotes an awareness, it's very closely connected to having an awareness of something. And man is an aware being. He's sentient and he has his conscience of this fallen state. The first section today dealt with gifts for Esau. This comprised verses 13 through 16. Here's what it said. So he lodged there that night and took what came to his hand as a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put some distance between the successive droves. The Lord has given certain gifts to man to help him along the path toward the anticipated meeting with Jesus. These gifts are dispensations. He has worked with man in a progressive way, slowly unfolding this this plan of redemption. The five groups of animals look to the five dispensations of God's dealing with man before the coming of Jesus Christ. These dispensations have come at specifically spaced intervals, just as Jacob sent out the gifts in specifically timed intervals. The first dispensation was innocence. Man lived in the garden of Eden. It was for a very short time, but while he was there, he disobeyed God and he was cast out as judgment. But before he was cast out, the first promise came. It was the first gift of grace, a promise that one would come to right this relationship. It's given in Genesis three fifteen. It is the first explicit hint of the coming redeemer. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. Let me read it to you. And I will put enmity between you, meaning the devil and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Esau meets with his first flock. Adam meets with his first gift of grace, a promise of victory over the serpent. The dispensation here is reflected in Romans five, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. The second dispensation is that of conscience. Man lived in the world and his law was through his instilled conscience. If we could live according to this God-instilled premise, then all would be well. But once again, man fell short of the standard. Before the destruction of the flood of Noah came the second judgment, the second, which was the second judgment, the second gift of grace was seen. It's found in Genesis seven, verse eight. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Esau meets his second flock. Adam meets his second gift of grace the continuation of humanity despite the flood of Noah. This dispensation, conscience, is reflected in Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, therefore the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is made manifest to them for God has shown it to them. The third dispensation is that of government. Man was given ruling authority over the earth and was given a covenant in connection with this. If man could properly govern his affairs under God's overarching authority, then he would be granted this right as a united group of people. However, he cast off God's rule and he intended to rule on his own. And he usurped God. He says, we're not gonna do it your way. We don't want your overarching authority. And because of this judgment was once again pronounced on man. The language was confused and man was scattered over the face of the earth. Before the judgment came though, which is the confusion of the languages, came the third gift of grace. It is found in Genesis chapter nine. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between you and me and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy the whole earth. Esau meets with his third flock. Adam meets with his third gift of grace. God promises humanity's continuance. This dispensation government is found in Romans chapter 13, verse one. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. The fourth dispensation is that of promise from one particular man and his descendants would come the blessing upon the whole world in the person of Jesus Christ. This dispensation is found given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 13, to Isaac in Genesis 26, and it follows down to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. During this dispensation, the chosen line was expected to be faithful to God and to trust in his word and in his assurances. And we've seen that happening. Those who interacted with them were to treat them in a manner which was realizing their unique role leading to the coming redeemer. When those who interacted with them failed to acknowledge this, it would lead to judgment on them. And we've already seen that several times in the preceding chapters. This is seen though time and time again as the people of the world failed to treat God's chosen line in a manner which is conducive to this promise of God. The ultimate act of this judgment is found in the plagues upon the people of Egypt because they had subjected the people of Egypt and they've mistreated them. Despite their mistreatment and despite their bondage, the fourth gift of grace was given before the judgment and it can be found in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions possessions esau meets with his fourth flock adam meets with his fourth gift of grace god promised his protection to the covenant people leading to the messiah this dispensation which is promise is reflected many many times throughout the bible but i'll give you one from romans chapter 11 it says there in the 29th verse for the gifts and calling of god are irrevocable the fifth dispensation is that of law During this period, man was given God's law and it states right in the law itself in Leviticus chapter 18, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. In this law, there were promised blessings for obedience and there were promised curses for disobedience. The curses included the ultimate uh, curse, which is that of exile from the land of promise. But as God's people, Even in punishment, he promised to keep them as a people safely for the people of the world to demonstrate his holiness and to demonstrate his covenant care. Despite their failure to obey and fail, they did. God once again provided the grace necessary for for this group of people. He did it in several ways. One of them was by providing the day of atonement for his people. Every year they could transfer their sins to an innocent animal. They'd sacrifice the animal, and God would cover their sins for another year. But even that wasn't enough, and they were eventually exiled from their homeland. They've been exiled twice. But before that judgment came another gift of God's grace. It came prior to the judgment, just like all the others did, and it was the promise of a return from exile. Let me read it. It's a little bit long. It's from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart, and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you, If any of you are driven out from the furthest parts of heaven, and I can tell you there's little synagogues in the the backwoods of China in Japan. They're everywhere from the furthest parts of heaven. From there, the Lord, your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you. Then the Lord, your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Esau meets with his fifth flock. Adam meets with his fifth gift of grace. This dispensation law is reflected in Romans chapter three, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. In the second portion of our verses today came the servant's message. This comprised verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 said, and he commanded the first one saying, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong? And where are you going? Where are these and what are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. Jacob gave the words to the servants. So they didn't speak on their own authority. They only spoke what they were told. In the same way, during each dispensation, the Lord spoke directly through his servants, the prophets. They are those who have testified to his word. A prophet's words are given by God to carry his message to Adam's line, just as these servants were given a message by Jacob to Esau. The call of the prophet is something that occurs in order to explain his message as he intends. Now, I wanna give you an example of the prophet's call so you can see that this is something from the mind of God before the prophet is ever born. This is from Jeremiah chapter one in Jeremiah's personal call. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born I sanctified you I ordained you a prophet to the nations then said I oh Lord God behold I cannot speak for I am a youth but the Lord said to me do not say I am a youth for you shall go to all whom I send you and wherever I command you whatever I command you you shall speak do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you says the Lord these prophets have been directed to speak to the line of Adam about the gifts and how to handle them. But they've also been directed to speak something more, something absolutely wonderful. The one who is coming is going to be a servant, just as Jacob says he is Esau's servant. In the third portion of our verses today came the thought, Jacob is behind us. This comprised verses 19 through 21. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove saying, in this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he lodged that night in the camp. God's prophets not only spoke of righteousness and of judgment, but they also told of the coming savior. They told of Jesus. Yes, here are your gifts, but Jacob is behind us. Yes, here is how you are to live, but Jesus is coming. In the Garden of Eden, right at the very beginning, the Lord himself promised, he is coming. In the second dispensation, Enoch said, he is coming. In the third, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, would have continued this proclamation, he is coming. Just as Jacob assured Esau through each gift, Jesus answers Adam's line through each dispensation. He is behind us and he is coming. Jesus himself, after the resurrection, showed that all of the prophets' message from the very beginning were a unified message and they spoke of his coming and his glory. Here's what he said to the people on the way to Emmaus after the resurrection. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, which means Genesis, because Moses Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the marvel of these nine short verses today. They are a promise of a future meeting between Jacob and Esau, between Jesus and Adam. They are verses of hope, and their verses of restoration in these verses five sets of gifts were given they were gifts of grace and they were gifts of reconciliation and each points to a particular dispensation as well in the order of the the gifts that were given to esau is not given by the bible but i believe the order is as follows the dispensation of innocence is seen in the lambs the lamb is an animal of innocence. At the Passover, the innocent lamb died in the place of the firstborn, picturing Christ's innocent death. We find that in uh, Isaiah 53, verse seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The dispensation of conscience is seen in the goats. The goat is, as I said, it's a hairy animal. I've noted this many times throughout these sermons. Hair in the Bible denotes awareness or conscience. The dispensation of conscience was the time of awareness which followed the time of innocence. The third dispensation is government. It's seen in the donkey. The donkey is a picture of ruling status. The judges and leaders of Israel throughout the Old Testament ride on a donkey. Jesus in both testaments, Zechariah, and in the gospel accounts, rode on a donkey as a, a symbol of his kingly role. The fourth dispensation is promise and it's reflected by the camels. The term for milk camel in Hebrew is mekanot. It's derived from a word yanak, which means believe it or not to suckle, like a baby suckling on its mother. The term is used by Sarah at the time of Isaac's birth, who is the son of promise. The very notion of suckling for a baby is one of anticipation and of promise. Isaiah in particular uses this, this term in anticipation of the Lord's promises to his people. And the last dispensation before Jesus was the law. This is seen in the cows and the bulls. There were a lot of different animals that were used in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. But the bull in particular was used as a substitute for the sins of the high priest himself on the day of atonement. The high priest is the administrator of the law. And he therefore prefigures Jesus, who is our mediator. He is prefigured by this particular gift to Esau. As you can see, all of this has been pictured in just these nine verses today. Five droves, five dispensations. The gifts were presented to pacify and bring about eventual reconciliation. The fulfillment of that reconciliation, of course, is found in Jesus Christ. He is the one whom all of these things are pointing forward to. I wanna take just another moment, and I wanna tell you that if you've never come to an understanding, of how his work and his life is important to you, that you would just listen and just try to grasp the meaning of Jesus Christ and the glory that he demonstrates through what he did. The Bible is very clear. We talked about the Garden of Eden and Adam, and he sinned. He did it in conscience, but it doesn't negate his sin. He was told not to do something and he disobeyed. He lacked faith. And from that time on, sin has traveled through humanity. We inherit sin from our father. And every person on earth is born of a father. That's the point of the picture of circumcision. It's cutting away the sin nature. It doesn't actually do it, but that's what it prefigures. Sin is traveling through man, and there's a point where I'm going to cut that sin line. And it was done in the person of Jesus Christ. He was born under the law, but he wasn't born of a man. He was born of God the Father and of a woman. And so he was born without sin. The sin has now been cut, pictured by this circumcision. He is now capable of fulfilling the law that you and I can't fulfill. Go back to what I said in Leviticus 18. If you do these things, you will live. But you can't do them because you already have sin in your life. You were born, conceived in sin, according to David in the 51st Psalm. And so Jesus, not being born of sin, was capable of fulfilling the law. The question is, is he going to live his life and fulfill the law? And he did. He never sinned in his life. He thus prevailed over the law. And that's why we're not under the law, is because he died and when somebody dies, the things with them die with it. It's like when a husband is married to a woman and he dies, that marriage bond goes to the grave with him and she's now free to marry somebody else. We are now free to marry another branch of humanity. We go from Adam to Jesus Christ and it's our choice. God allows us to make this choice. We can either stay in Adam and we can face God on our own merits which are insufficient because we've inherited Adam's sin, or we can move to Christ, we can have the law and all of its punishment taken away in Christ, and we can stand justified before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that is proven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most monumental occurrence in all of human history, because the wages of sin is death. He died for our sin and so he went into the grave, but he came back out of the grave because he had no sin of his own. Peter says in Acts chapter 2 that it was impossible for sin to hold for death to hold him because he didn't sin. Death cannot hold you if you haven't sinned. And so if you put your trust in what Jesus Christ did, you will move from death, which is Adam, to life, which is Jesus Christ. And that is the glory of what Jesus did for you. So if you have never taken the time to call on Jesus and just simply offer him your sins for his righteousness, I would ask you to do that today. I've talked a couple times today about people dying. Might get out on the highway here and get run over. You don't know when your last moment is. I'm gonna go have lunch with somebody across the road here in a few minutes and I may choke on a burger. I love their burgers. Whatever, we don't know our last moment. So please offer yourself to Jesus Christ and then make yourself a living sacrifice, living for him in holiness all of the days of your life. All right, I have a closing verse for you today. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter five. And I'd like you to pay attention to what Paul says here now all things are of god who has reconciled us to himself through jesus christ this is that meeting between jacob and esau between christ and adam he's reconciled us to there and he has given us this means anybody that's called on jesus christ the ministry of reconciliation that is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation if you believe in jesus christ if you were saved by his blood you now have the ministry of reconciliation whether you like it or not you are a minister and everything that you do in the presence of others is how they are evaluating jesus christ because of your actions so bear this responsibility with trembling and with fear because human souls are in the balance based on how you conduct yourselves you are a minister of jesus christ please do that for his sake all right uh next week is genesis 32 verses 22 through 32 it's entitled he struggles with god and man and that'll be our 81st genesis sermon now i have a poem to read you before we take communion but before i read that poem i will tell you this the lord has you exactly where he wants you and he has a good plan and a purpose for you so call on him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you okay this is uh a poem called Five Gifts of Grace. I've made a poem of every single passage of Genesis so far, and we're, we're getting to a whole poem of Genesis, but this is Five Gifts of Grace. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for his brother, all right, and the present was quite grand. 200 female goats and 20 male goats also, 200 ewes and 20 rams he chose. 30 milk camels with their colts were selected to go and 40 cows and 10 bulls. He counted nose by nose. Also 20 female donkeys he selected and 10 foals for them he detected. Then he delivered them to the servant's hand, every drove by itself, one at a time he sent. And he said to his servants so they would understand, pass ahead putting distance between the droves. And so they went. And he commanded saying to the first one, when my Esau my brother meets you and asks concerning who, to whom do you belong and where are you going my son? Who, whose are these in front of you? Then here is what you shall say to your servant Jacob. They belong. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau this day, and he is also behind us. Soon he will come along. So he commanded the second and the third and all who followed the drove saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau with this word that your servant Jacob is behind us at the camp he is staying. For he said, I will appease him with this grace, with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me favorably. So the present went on before like a lamp, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Jesus too lodged in God's camp as the gifts were given, but eventually he appeared so we could move from death to a living. Each of the dispensations was meant to teach us a lesson of how we needed God's direct hand of grace. Without his word and Jesus, we'd all be a guessing as to how to live rightly and to again see his face. But Jesus did come during the fifth dispensation and we beheld his glory. And now through his word, he has decreed. Now we can impart to all the world that wonderful declaration that through his cross, we are reconciled indeed. Thank you, O glorious and splendid creator. Receive praises and honor from each of us for you have become our vindicator through the work of your son, our Lord Jesus marvelous and beautiful in all of your ways and so we shall exalt and praise you all of our days hallelujah and amen heavenly father thank you thank you so much for the plan that you unveiled even before the creation that jesus really was coming and that he really did come and he really did the things that are prefigured in these verses and he gave his life up in exchange for our wrongs thank you for that gift thank you for the marvel of your word and how these secret treasures are hidden there and just waiting to come out and to show us the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything you've done for us so far in our lives and we look forward in anticipation to the glory to come because of what Jesus has done. All glory, all majesty, all power, all honor, all splendor, all goodness. It all belongs to you alone. We praise you because of you and your work through our Lord and savior Jesus. And so it's in his name we pray, amen.